Who sows the division? The orthodox or the heterodox? The faithful or the unfaithful? That's the question for today. That's what we're talking about right here on Cross Defense. So let's get into it. Replying to last week's episode, Maybell 4114 said, Paul said it, not Jesus, but whatever your imaginary enemy says. Stick around to the end of the show for a Bible passage that Maybell 4114 will have to contend with. Welcome to Cross Defense. This is the show that aims to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul, and aims to do all of that with God's Word. I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell. I'm the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California, where God's people are actually hosting a conference, the Freedom of Conscience and Religious Liberty Conference, coming up October 28th, where we will have our keynote speaker, one Reverend Dr. Adam Kuntz, speaking to us. And I also will be speaking as well as the Pregnancy Care Center's Director of Operations here in the Humboldt County area. So you can go to stmarksferndale.com slash freedom for more information about that. Get your tickets and get them while you still can. Limited space is available. While you're at the website, you can also go to stmarksferndale.com slash contact where you can drop us a line, let us know what it is you have on your mind, your comments, your questions, your bits of biblical brilliance. And as long as you're out there spreading love, why don't you go and leave us a review and a five-star rating on the platform that you use to take in this podcast. We appreciate all your help. Thanks, guys. Truly, from the bottom of my heart. Okay, if you've been around Cross Defense for the last year or so, you know that we get real around here. We talk about actual issues that we're actually confronting in our increasingly Christless culture. And while we talk about a variety of things on this show, we don't operate in the theoretical, abstract, academic sphere. No, no, no. We contend with real-world situations, be they in the news or our local lives. To that end, we're going to do another From the Inbox episode coming up next week. So uh, get your emails in while you can. There's already a lot backing up for us to contend with. We will try to pull from them as many as we can and answer as many in one fell swoop as we can. We'll lump them together if they're on the same topic and things like that. And so uh, I want to give you something to look forward to for next episode, the next Cross Defense episode. That's what we'll be doing is talking about your particular issues, and we'll try to give you some good biblical answers and point you, at least give you something to start with as you go to your pastor for more uh, in, in, in-person counsel from somebody who knows what you're contending with, if that's possible. Okay, so in last week's topic coming out about uh, false teaching, right? The false teaching of our neighboring congregation. Because of that, I want to consider uh, the cause of division. Who is it to blame when there's division? We're going to look at some Bible verses, and we're also going to look at Reverend Peeper's classic work of Christian dogmatics to hear from the Lord and to hear from one of his dead theologians. But first, to get started, let me ask you about cancer. Yes, cancer. If you go to the doctor... And the doctor tells you that you have cancer. Is he to blame for the tension and the turmoil that you're now feeling as a result of confronting the reality before you? Is the doctor to blame or is it the cancer? Which one 
is causing the chaos in your heart. Obviously, it's the cancer. The doctor has the uncomfortable job, but it is still his job if he's a faithful, good doctor. He has the uncomfortable job of telling you the bad news. But that doesn't make him the bad guy. No, he's actually a good guy for pointing out the bad news. How about another example? When you're pulled over for speeding, who's to blame for the ticket? You or the police officer? Now, the sensible person understands that he's to blame. The driver is to blame for getting the ticket if, in fact, the driver was speeding. People like to grumble about cops issuing tickets. But it was your lead foot on the gas pedal, and it was your decision to do 80 in the 65 that caused you to get pulled over. Just because you got caught, it doesn't make it the cop's fault when he does his job and gives you the citation in a similar way, in the same way, actually. It's not you, the faithful Christian, who is sowing division when you speak the truth of God's word to the lies of the devil. After last week's episode, a commenter left this comment on the show's blog post at stmarksferndale.com. Hi, Pastor Tyrell. I watched the female pastor's episode and sent it to someone who attends the community church. She responded with this to me right away, didn't actually watch it, and I responded back. The email chain starts at the bottom up. Keith. The reply Keith received was simply this. Proverbs 6.19, things God hates, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. And now this was Keith's reply to the reply he received. If you actually took the time to watch, you would realize Bramwell is actually quoting multiple scriptures. Those aren't lies. What Keith ran into was someone with theological cancer who doesn't want to acknowledge the truth and so puts all the, the icky onto the bearer of the bad news. The doctor, in this case, is me, a pastor in town who's trying to help Christ's sheep avoid false teaching and those who are teaching it. That would be what I did. What does Romans 16 say? After Paul issues his long and, I would say, beautiful list of people he wishes to greet, it's such a joy to read that there in Scripture, from verses 3 to 16, he goes on to say in verses 17 to 20, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Now, who's the cause of the division here? Is it those who hold to true doctrine, biblical apostolic doctrine? No, <laughs> no. It's those who create obstacles that are contrary to the prophetic and apostolic word of God, the doctrine that we have been taught, that's been handed down to us from the apostles and the prophets before them. Verse 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all. Now, how, does, how does that happen? How do you think one's obedience or a congregation's obedience becomes known to all? 
there's never any engagement, even in the public, about things that pertain to truth and falsehood. Ah, I don't know. Maybe you could tell me, leave me a comment, send me a, a message, however you'd like to get a hold of me. Maybe we could talk about that. I don't know. Just being a little bit facetious. The obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, Paul says. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to and as to what is evil. Why would Keith's recipient not at the very least watch the episode that he sent her. It concerns her. It concerns her church. It concerns her pastor. If the members of St. Mark Lutheran Church here in Ferndale got a message about their pastor, which I'm sure they do, (laughs) I would expect them to at least listen to what their friend is telling them about me. And then make a wise choice based on scripture. I am a human being. I'm sinful. I even have the the potential to lead this congregation astray. I would hope to heaven that my people here at St. Mark would be Bereans. They would take the accusation, what is being told them about their pastor, and would compare it to scripture and see if it holds any water. And if it does hold water, I would hope they would come to me and talk to me about it, that I may have a chance to repent. But just dismissing it out of hand, will this woman's pastor, Pastor Porter at the Ferndale Community Church, will he ever have a chance to repent if people don't bring it to his attention, people of his own flock? Don't you think that she'd at least want to listen to what her friend is saying? Now, Because she's not, might I suggest that it's actually evidence of a repentance issue. See, people don't like to have to confront the sin in their lives. It's easier. It's easier to ignore temporary conflict with the hope of maintaining that temporary peace as long as possible. But it's a trade-off, isn't it? We ought to be willing to accept temporary discomfort in exchange for permanent peace, yeah? Instead of permanent discomfort, in exchange for temporary peace. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? And that really is the biblical Christian worldview. It's the lifestyle. In this life, we have temporary discomfort for eternal peace. We don't want to throw off the cross. We want to deal with it. When such a situation comes our way, if if we're ever confronted with this reality, and we have a a responsibility to engage it, well, let's engage that temporary discomfort. Let's bear that cross so as to maintain the eternal peace that has given been given us in our baptism. Oh, man, Doc, oh, I don't like to hear that I have cancer. Oh, it's horrible that you told me that. It's awful. What now? Well, the doctor says, things are going to get a little rough for a while, but... We've caught it early enough that you should be okay in the long run if you're willing to undergo chemo and radiation treatments, things like this. Hey, your words actually might bear fruit and give life to your hearers. Maybe Keith's recipient, if she would listen, she could bring words that heal to her very own pastor. What a blessed situation that would be. 
Verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Okay. So I sounded the alarm about false teaching happening in the name of Jesus in Ferndale, where I serve, where I'm a called and ordained under-shepherd of Christ. Am I the cause of the division? That's the question. Am I the cause of division for, for sounding this alarm, for, for crying wolf in a, in a way where the question is, am I crying wolf or is there an actual wolf? Or is there one operating like a wolf who doesn't realize that's what he's doing? And that's the gracious perspective that we should all go into this with, right? Or, or am I merely the one pointing out the cause? Am I the doctor in this metaphor for keeping the metaphor alive? To answer the question posed to Keith, does God hate me? A la uh, Proverbs 6.19? Well, to answer that question, let's take a look at that pericope, huh? I certainly want to know. If I've done something wrong, if I've sinned in some way. And Keith's friend says, I have. So let's hear her out. Let's start at Proverbs 6.12 for some context. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. Okay, so already we can ask, who's the one with crooked speech? Me? Citing all kinds of Bible verses about how women are not supposed to be pastors, looking at the context? Of those verses, exegeting the text, not reading into it what I wanted to say? Am I the one speaking crooked speech? For following the Lord's word, his command. As Paul says, I am writing this a command of the Lord, not to let women preach. Or would you say that Pastor Porter is the one speaking crooked speech for inviting a woman who claims to be a pastor to preach to his congregation? We both can't be speaking the straight word of God because we're saying the opposite things. One has to be in the orthodox position or one has to be speaking the heterodox position. I guess suppose I guess we both could be speaking the heterodox, heterodox position. We should take a look at that, right? Who's speaking the crooked word? Crooked word. I would say it's Pastor Porter, which is what I said. <laughs> Verse 13. That wicked man he winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. So he, he's a liar, right? He gives these, these subtle cues to other liars. He's smooth talker kind of a thing. Verse 14, with perverted heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Okay, so if I was devising evil, then perhaps I would be guilty of sowing discord. Yes, but I'm not. I don't do that. My ministry is public, and it's known that I suffer because I desire good. Everything I teach and everything I say, it's out there on the internet. It's out there in the world. I put it on a sign. I, I publish the Ferndale Fortitudes. I publish all this stuff. Everything I'm doing is public. It's true. It's true, indeed, as she says, that I am continually speaking, but not to sow discord. Not in a way that would get God to hate me. No, I'm speaking against the evil that's all around the flock that gathers here in Ferndale that I've been called to shepherd, which means I feed them and I protect them from threats. It doesn't follow that I'm the one sowing the discord just because I'm continually speaking against those who are sowing the discord. No more than a cancer doctor 
is sowing strife in someone's heart for pointing out the cancer. Verse 15, therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly in a moment he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, that would be pride. A lying tongue, which is what I would say Pastor Porter and the ladies are doing at Ferndale Community Church, and hands that shed innocent blood. Now, interesting observation here, sort of a side note, kind of, sort of, but not really. Pride and the lying tongue and murder, okay? I mentioned in the last cross defense that women pastors are in keeping with the LGBTQ lies, which is the pride movement, right? So we have them here side by side, the lying tongue and the pride movement. But it's also followed up with murder, which includes what, dear saints? Abortion, another women's lib industry of evil. So we have this pride stuff that goes all the way through all all these uh, minority groups, including women. They're all kind of sort of related, aren't they? It's like... It's like they're all part of the same demonic lie, which is what I've been saying for years now. 18, verse 18 tells us more of what the Lord hates. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. And that's the accusation lobbed at me. Not only is this not about me, But it's more scripture that confirms that the heterodox argument for for women's ordination is crooked speech of those who give a false witness, breathing out lies, which are indeed the cause of division. Those who advocate for any false doctrine are the sowers of division, not the pastors or the Christians like Keith or like yourself who sound the alarm when the sinful lies are detected. No, faithful pastors are not opposed to reasoning together from the scriptures when a brother observes an error and invites him to do that, to come, and and even from different fellowships, denominations that aren't actually in fellowship, but they're living in the same town. And when one says, hey, brother, I think you've sinned. Would you like to get together and reason from Scripture? The faithful pastor says, sure, yes, please, as, as soon as possible, because I don't want to lead anyone astray. That's kind of a major clue that someone knows their heart is devising wicked plans and they don't want to deal with it as a baptized and repentant Christian. Yeah? All right. So we're at our first break. Let's take one right now. We'll come right back and get into this conversation, continue this conversation about orthodox and heterodox. Who sows the division? Let's find out. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts.
I said let's find out, but we've already kind of found out. We looked right there at Proverbs 6, and we learned much about who sows the division. Thank you to Keith's recipient for that lead on that scripture verse. That's wonderful. Now, as I said in the beginning of the show, and as you know from previous episodes, we're not about doing theology in the abstract around here. No. As Luther wrote, Fabius teaches that an ambiguous word must be avoided like a reef. We don't want to crash into that and shipwreck our faith, yeah? Of course, we quote Luther only because he's a faithful dead theologian. But we take in his word only because it points us to God's word, our actual foundation for faith. We don't rely on man, but on God. And there, we see that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell both of his understudies, both of these junior pastors who are mentored by Paul, pastors Timothy and Titus, to counter false teachers and to do so out of love, as we hear so clearly in 1 Timothy. In Titus 3, verses 8 through 10, after being taught about our, our being justified and baptized, we read, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, pastor, so that those who have believed in God, Christians, may be careful to devote themselves to good works, believing in Jesus. The things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division and after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So what do we hear there? We heard that the pastor is being told to insist on certain things that build up the church so that Christians can be devoted to the right things. Things like justification by faith alone in Christ Jesus alone, by grace alone. Things like baptism, where the Holy Spirit is poured out into us and we have been sanctified and are being sanctified. Things like this. And to avoid foolish things as well which include dissension and those things that cause division and those people who cause division. We also heard that eventually we're to have nothing to do with these warped and self-condemned men. After you've tried multiple times to reason together from Scripture, mark that person for avoidance. That's the responsible thing to do. Stay away from them. How about 1 Timothy 1, 3-5? Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, mind you, Mabel 41, 14. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The doctor's aim is loving when he says, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have cancer. 
The faithful pastor's aim is loving who says, that's false teaching. I'm sorry to say what you have been taking in at your church isn't accurate. I know you thought it was, but let me show you from Scripture how that's wrong. For your good. And in 2 Timothy 4.14, Paul writes to Reverend Timothy saying, Alexander the coppersmith, that's pretty specific, he names a name and a title, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. What message? The gospel message, Jesus Christ. A good pastor will be like a good doctor or a good cop. He will do his duty and he will mark the evil so that it can be avoided by the sheep. And, as I've said before, he will be hated for it. No doubt about it. Yet no matter. Because while we're in here in in 2 Timothy, we read Paul's inspired words in chapter 4, verses 17 to 18, that offer us the encouragement that we need when we're hated. But the Lord stood by me, Paul said, and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Pastors like doctors, like cops, sometimes have to speak the uncomfortable things to our hearers, but we do so out of love for their well-being, willing to take the hatred, willing to be persecuted, willing to face the lion, trusting that the Lord's going to deliver us to his heavenly kingdom and all's going to be well. (laughs) You can't take away my birthday, people. It isn't to cause division, but to remedy it. And yes, that includes silencing different doctrine, heterodox and or heretical doctrines. And with that, let's get into Reverend Peeper's Christian dogmatics. Be not deceived, my friends. There is a reason for the existence of different congregations in your town. There's a reason why why there is different churches in your town. We're not all the same. Acting like there's no difference doesn't help anyone and most certainly isn't loving, despite what your friends might think. Now I'm going to read from Volume 3 of Christian Dogmatics by Reverend Francis Pieper, page 422 for those of you who have a copy at home, the section titled Orthodox and Heterodox Churches. Congregations and church bodies must be divided into two classes according to their public doctrine. It's God's will and command that in his church his word be preached and believed in purity and truth without adulteration. In God's church, nobody should utter his own word, but only God's word. And then he references 1 Peter 4, 11, which says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks, oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves, by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Pastors don't have the freedom in the church to teach their own opinions, but are called and ordained to teach in the stead and by the command of Jesus Christ. We teach 
his word, not our own. We don't get to play fast and loose. Peeper says, chaff and wheat, they do not ultimately belong together. All teaching otherwise. And that's heterodidaskalain, to say it in the Greek, is strictly forbidden. 1 Timothy 1.3, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. How often do we think about the role of the pastor as being charging certain persons not to teach any different doctrine? Are you aware or were you aware that your pastor's job is not only to feed the flock, That's part of the job. That's a big part of the job. It's to give the sheep the nutritious food of the gospel, the law and the gospel that the sheep need, to give them the scriptures that they need, but also to defend the flock from eating poison that will kill them. Shepherds live not only among sheep, but we also shepherd among wolves. It's important, Peeper says, to point out again and again that in all Scripture there is not a single text permitting a teacher to deviate from the Word of God or granting a child of God license to fraternize with a teacher who deviates from the Word of God. That's huge. Did you hear that? Not even to fraternize with the deviating pastors. When I first arrived in Ferndale, a member told me how when she was a little girl, her parents wouldn't let her go to the functions that were put on by the Roman Catholic Church. Her dad was strict about the kids not going to other churches. As well he should be. Absolutely. Praise be to Jesus for a father like that. See, it's not harmless to ingest poison. Sadly, that vocational fidelity didn't win the day in the next generation of Lutherans out here. It was not a big deal for some of my predecessors here at St. Mark to participate in joint vacation Bible schools. Yeah, real thing. With the ELCA and with the community church, the Episcopal church, all that kind of stuff. The kids would go from one building to the next, because we're a small town, they would just walk across the streets. And the congregation members at each one of those churches would serve them accordingly in the VBS. (laughs) Well, guess what? The woman whose dad wouldn't let her near false teachers still comes to church faithfully. But the kids who grew up in the unfaithful ecumenical culture of the 80s and 90s, not a single one of them are members of this congregation today. And they're still around. <laughs> they're still here. And when I speak God's clear word of truth, they, see, they say things to their parents like, you better reel in that pastor of yours, Mom. Yeah, really. What happened? What happened, dear saints? I'll tell you. Pastors failed to speak God's word. And instead, they taught the people their own opinions. It's not the people to blame here. No, it's the shepherds who were at the helm when the people were taught it was okay to do such a thing. And the consequence has been proven to be disastrous for these souls. When I first arrived, again, back in 2017, the local ELCA pastor was quick to greet me here. He ran right over and introduced himself. He told me all about the joint Thanksgiving services that we had had here, and it was a custom here in Ferndale for for years. All the churches participated in it, even St. Mark. 
and it was great, he said. To which I said, um, no. <laughs> he was appalled. Well, I've served several different churches throughout California, and I've always had a great working relationship with, with LCMS pastors. None of them ever had a problem coming together for the sake of the people. My response to that, shame on them. Sorry, man. But I'm not free to, to participate and to lead the people of God to participate in a joint worship service with churches that we're not in fellowship with. That would be giving false testimony before the world. I can't do that. I won't do that. I don't want to do that. But what about the Lutheran Church of Arcata, he said? It's ELCA and LCMS, and it has been for 40-some years. And I told him that that was not a God-pleasing thing. And the pastors who participated in that false witness, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. That's what I told them. Just because they erred didn't mean I would didn't mean I had precedent to. No. And never fear, dear saints, if you're worried about that, and you're probably like, what? An LCMS church in fellowship with an ELCA one? Yes, served by the same pastors? Uh Uh-huh. Don't fear about it. Don't fret about it. Our God is good. He is good. And he is bringing to an end that 40 years of men teaching their own words over and against his in that location. The unionism in Arcata is finally, praise be to God, coming to an end. Hallelujah and amen. And I believe the era of infidelity here in Humboldt County is ending. And I'd ask you to pray with me for the Lord to once again glorify his name throughout this entire region. With the, the final removal of the Lutheran Church of Arcata from our synod, the era of besmirching our Lord's name is over among us. Praise be to Jesus. A generation of heterodoxy is done. Put a fork in it. And may the next 40 years know nothing but orthodoxy. And it's already begun here in Ferndale. Thank you, Jesus. So now, back to Peeper. God is against the prophets who proclaim their own dreams. Jeremiah 23, 31 to 32. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declares the Lord, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do not profit This people at all declares the Lord. And all Christians, without exception, are commanded to avoid such false teachers. Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And 1 Timothy 6, 3 4 and 5, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Pausing here, 
let's make clear that it's not those of us holding fast to apostolic doctrine that are the cause of divisions. That very verse is lobbed at us often for speaking truth. Just because the world is getting more and more increasingly Christless, and so therefore we are speaking louder and louder about the truth, does not make us those who are, who are longing for controversies and, and are stirring up the divisions. No. Would that our culture would repent and turn back, and we wouldn't have to be engaged in these things. See, that's always the accusation. When we stand up to the wayward teachers, they accuse us of being the cause of the division, but they are the cause. They are the cancer within the body of Christ. Because we're not going along to get along, we're seen as the ones craving controversy. No, sir. No, sir. The heterodox are the causes of division. Our desire is for them to repent that peace may abound. But what did Paul urge Timothy to do when he left him in Ephesus, charged certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. We're not seeking division, but we're working real hard to stop it. The origin of friction is found among the false teachers. Stop doing that, and we'll stop speaking about it because there won't be anything for us to speak about. Because our hearts aren't devising evil, but are seeking after the good of the sheep that you are leading astray. Pieper writes, the distinction between orthodox and heterodox church bodies and congregations is based on this divine order. A congregation or church body which abides by God's order, in which therefore God's word is taught in its purity and the sacraments administered according to the divine institution, is properly called an orthodox church, ecclesia orthodoxa pura. But a congregation or church body which, in spite of the divine order, tolerates false doctrine in its midst is properly called a heterodox church, ecclesia heterodoxa impara. And here, finally, before our next break, we get a very strong footnote statement. Orthodox churches in our day are those Lutheran congregations and church bodies which profess and actually teach the doctrines laid down in the confessions of the Evangelical Lutheran Church. Because these doctrines, on examination, are found to be the teaching of God's Word. Are you hearing that? They are being tested and found to be in keeping with God's Word. Impure and heterodox churches are the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Catholic Church, the Reformed Church, with its many subdivisions. And moreover, also the church bodies which, though bearing the Lutheran name, <coughs> ELCA, do not profess and actually teach the doctrine of the Church of the Reformation. All right. So let's take a break right there. We'll come right back and we'll keep this conversation going. Don't go away. And thank you for listening to Cross Defense. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. 
see, it's not enough to simply claim orthodoxy on paper. No, sir. It has to actually be taught. Our words and actions need to align. And so Peeper continues, all children of God should be earnestly concerned to see how real and serious this difference between church bodies is. Because indifference, as to the Christian doctrine, is rampant today among professed Christians. And the abrogation of creeds and substitution for them of a so-called applied Christianity is represented as the goal the church should strive for. (laughs) Gross, as the kids say. Already in 1920, the church in America was experiencing a, a mingling of truth and lies. That's when Peeper was writing this. Our faithful predecessors held the line. Are we going to shirk when it's our responsibility to do the same? No. Again, the great gift of the dead theologians is tremendous. We see faithfulness in action, even down to our age and a generation prior, to see that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just got to hold the line. A hundred years ago, indifference to truth and error was under assault, as it still is today. And when those of us who refuse to remain silent, when false teachers spit in our Lord's face and we speak up, we're lambasted with insult and slander. So be it. (laughs) Bring it. It's a joy to suffer for Christ. Would that all of those who bear the Lord's name would experience what it is to be hated for Jesus' sake. You would rejoice, just as Paul says. Peeper continues. With regard to the orthodox character of the church body, note well, one, a church body is orthodox only if the true doctrine, as we have it in the Augsburg Confession and the other Lutheran symbols, the other Lutheran writings that are founded on Scripture, are taught in its pulpits and its publications and not merely, quote, officially, unquote, professed as its faith. Not the, quote, official doctrine, but the actual teaching determines the character of a church body. Because Christ enjoins that all things whatsoever he has commanded his disciples should actually be taught and not merely acknowledged in an official, quote, document. Quote around official document (laughs) as the correct doctrine. When I was publicly maligned by the ELCA pastor of the LCMS Lutheran Church of Arcata, and I requested the prompt, public, and official end of the unionism of that congregation, my district president visited St. Mark, and after asking a lot of investigative questions about my teaching, finally inquired about the will of the congregation, what we would have them him do. Right? How, how he could be of service to us, this sort of thing. And when the floor was open, I spoke to him, and I said in front of my people, all I want, and I think I speak for everyone here, as a pastor in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, all I want is for my church body to be who she says she is, for the district and the synod to have integrity and live by what its constitution says, what our constitution says, which is based on the Bible. I was saying what Peeper says, that we actually need to be what we quote-unquote officially claim to be. Otherwise, we don't have integrity. That's all this is, integrity, friends. 
As I said last week, lying is loathsome. Misrepresenting Jesus, <laughs> it's loathsome squared. It is patent that faith in Christ will be created and preserved through the pure gospel only when that gospel is really proclaimed, Peeper says. And he gets on to number two, finally. A church body does not forfeit its orthodox character by reason of the casual intrusion of false doctrine. It's a good thing to note. The thing which the Apostle Paul told the elders of Ephesus, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them, Acts 20.30. This came true, not only in the apostolic church, but also in the church of the Reformation and will occur in the church of the last day. A church body loses its orthodoxy only when it no longer applies Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, and therefore does not combat and eventually remove false doctrine, but tolerates it without reproof, and thus actually grants it equal right with the truth. This is what we're talking about, friends. This is the main mind-equipping question for us today. How well, how well are we doing at combating and removing false doctrine? From my experience, I've seen too much gospel reductionism too much of that, that gospel reductionism influence going on among us. A lot of us are just going along to get along. And that behavior has no place in the church. And to make matters worse, we fool ourselves into thinking our inaction and our milquetoast response to false doctrine is actually love. Mm-mm. That's the opposite of love, friend. This is why it's a shock to people when they learn that there are, are still churches that live by biblical doctrine, such as the topic of last week's episode, that God's command is that women are not to be pastors, and we hold to that, and we say it out loud, and they're like, <gasps> and they clutch their pearls, and they get all worried. We're putting women in their place. No, we're not. We're holding to God's word. Why are you not doing that? Why is it shocking to hear that we don't, agree with homosexuality scripture says it's a sin and give any example you want right fill in the blank because too many pastors too many pastors haven't been engaged in the combat against false doctrine this is the problem and so it won the day not it will win the day it has won the day and it's taken root and now it's considered good and right 40 years of unionism at the lutheran church of arcata that's an entire generation that happened because the pastors of the congregation, the circuit, the district, the synod, those with vocational duty were unwilling to combat and eventually remove false doctrine in the name of love. Mm -mm. To which some of you might be saying, but hey, hey, they did eventually remove the false doctrine, right, Pastor Bramwell? It's being brought to an end, as you said. Didn't you say that it's being brought to an end? Yes, I did. But not after 40 years, friend. It's being brought to an end after a year. After one, after one, I filed my official request a year ago 
and I had to stay on the people in charge of making it happen so that they would do something about it. After a year of continual combat, it's being remedied. A year, not 40. And not to the credit of the faithful pastors, of, of any faithful pastors, no. But to the great shame of every one of the pastors that kicked the can down the street and who used gospel language to cover up the sin that has lived next door to my congregation longer than I've been alive. With this in mind, I have a message for the ministerium, for my brothers serving in the various places across the globe. Perhaps if you're not a pastor, you can pass this episode along to a pastor that you love and care about to encourage him to fulfill the ministry he's been given. As clergymen in combat against false doctrine for the sake of the flock that we've been called to serve, I have this message. It's actually not mine, it's Paul's. It's what Paul said to Titus in chapter 1, starting at verse 5, where Titus was called to Crete. I have been called to Ferndale, and you, brother, have been called to wherever you serve. You've been called to your city, your region. Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete. This is why you've been put by God somewhere where you're serving, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And now, note verse 9. He... You, brother, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he, you, may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's part of the ministry. What's Paul saying? Every pastor is to be the kind of man who holds firmly to the word of God, the kind of man who knows it, knows its power and strength, its efficacy and ability to deliver what it says. Every pastor must be the kind of man who makes Scripture his everything, his whole life. Why? Because there are many, many who speak contrary to the Bible in the name of Jesus. You, pastor, must be able to convict such people according to sound doctrine, good teaching. Your job is to convict them of their error by showing them convincingly that they are wrong. Yes, this is part of the job, a big part of the job. Don't misunderstand, though. Okay, don't misunderstand. You don't have to actually get them, those who are contrary to Scripture, those who are in error, you don't have to actually get them to admit they're wrong. That's not the goal. No, no. That, uh, that, we're not holding out uh, vain goals here. No, that's not going to happen in most cases. Some wouldn't be convinced by the Lord himself. So put that idea out of your head from the outset. It's not about getting an admission of guilt or fault or anything like that. It's about teaching in a way that true believers will be convicted by your instruction. For the true believers, hearing your word, verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Nothing has changed, brothers, nothing. 
We are still serving in cities and regions where there are many who are insubordinate to the Lord, who talk without purpose or substance, and who deceive. They may seem to be lawless, and in the proper sense, the biblical sense of the word, they are. (laughs) They are lawless, but rightly understood, they are like those of the circumcision party, advocating what needs doing instead of proclaiming all that has been done by Christ. What does Paul tell Titus in verse 11? They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. They must be silenced? Yes, that's part of the job. Silencing false teachers is part of the pastoral work that we've been called into. Titus is charged to stop the mouths. Some translations, old world speaking, says gag them, and not physically, but to gag them with the truth, to stop their mouths from teaching false doctrine. Paul doesn't say how that's to be done exactly, But writing to his other pastoral protege, as we've already seen, writing to Timothy, he says something very similar, right? We're back to our 1 Timothy 1, 3-7 passage. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge, once again, I'm emphasizing this so that no one mishears us, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these things, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Oh, another dead theologian, R.C.H. Linsky, rightly states this means that in any congregation, the elders were to preemptively silence them when they tried to talk at the services. Guys, when the tender-hearted in your parish, misguided by a false understanding of love, push back, you need only to show them the apostles' charge. You are a pastor like Timothy and Titus. You have their same charge. And you have it for the same reason that they did. Because to let the liars speak is to permit them to upset whole families by teaching shameful gain that they ought not teach. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths, such as millennialism, right? Which we talked about a couple weeks ago. And the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Along these lines, you may be interested to know that I posted a sermon review video on YouTube this week wherein I took up this very charge in Titus, proving convincingly from Scripture for all true believers that the woman who preached at Ferndale Community Church ought to be silenced. Not only because she is insubordinate to the Lord's command, 
as a woman pastor, but also because she's an empty talker, deceiver, and torchbearer for the circumcision party, and because she was invited to speak by a pastor who should be combating false doctrine, not promoting it. He, too, continues to prove that he's not teaching sound doctrine, but that which is contrary to it and needs to be rebuked, needs to be silenced. There is a clear heterodox church, Ecclesia Heterodoxica Impara in Ferndale, just as there is clearly one, and only one that I can tell, that can be properly called Ecclesia Orthodoxa Pura, an Orthodox church. Thanks be to Jesus for sustaining the pure teaching of his word here at St. Mark Lutheran Church, for bringing it back. May he always keep it here. And may he spread it throughout Humboldt County as the age of heterodoxy ends here and the generation of orthodoxy takes root. I appeal to you Christians, my friends, dear cross-defense listeners, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints for the sake of whole families that are being upset by, I don't know, let's say theological cretins Contend for the faith, knowing exactly who it is that fights for you. Jesus the Christ. Amen. Oh, and Maybell 4114, if you reject Jesus Christ's apostle, Paul, you reject Jesus. And I want to know, do you also dismiss John? 2 John 511. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Till next time, my friends, Godspeed. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.